to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is this is so exciting. This is so exciting because there is no way we've been doing this now. How long? How long have we been doing this podcast? This is our four thousandth episode. Four thousandth. This, this one right here is number four thousand. Yeah, it's a, kind of a big deal, actually. Kind of a big we hit four thousand. And we never even once, not once, considered having an actual athlete on the show, right? We that no, never even we only we only considered having guests like a month ago. <laughs> well, you only got a microphone like three months ago. I got and- a microphone three. The, so we did. Here's what happened: we did three thousand nine hundred and forty of these things. Right. After the three thousand nine hundred and fortieth, it occurred to me that I could get a microphone to make it sound better. Right. I spent. I think it was $60 and got a microphone and everything got better. I mean, so like it went from unlistenable because of the content and the quality of the sound to only unlistenable because of the, uh, 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 what we say. Right. And then after, then after the 3,980 of them or so, we thought, Hey, we should have other people come on and talk with us (laughs) because they're smarter. Another huge evolutionary (laughs) leap forward for us. And so now today, the, the exciting thing is we have our first ever actual athlete. On actual the, on athlete the on the show. We have Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher and uh, and just all around great guy, Brandon McCarthy. Brandon, welcome. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. No, it's so great. This is so great because we really know this about you. Uh you're not going to add any any like content to this broadcast. I mean, this is we will maintain. I think our general level of nothingness with you on there. <laughs> Would you agree? I mean, do, do you do you feel like no? You're actually will add content to this? No, I don't want to, and I don't want to ruin what the good thing you guys have going here, which is just <laughs> wasting time from friends and family to entertain a few people. Oh. I want to do nothing. That's right. That's exactly right. Listen, I just want to say before we get started, if for some reason at any point you feel the urge yeah. to say something meaningful or to actually add any meaningful content to what we're doing here, just <laughs> hit the mute Stop. button on just... your microphone and walk away. And Joe and I will we just will. vamp we and will. we'll cover for you. But it's 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 a vital it's a like very very it's vital that you not uh, in any way, make this more interesting or better than it has been for the last. I could have my own segment. One last done. meaningful thing, I guess, at the end that you got just you just lob off and del- <laughs> it's a deleted thing. <laughs> just why would we do that though? That would be that would run counter to the for, entire like, mission pod statement. Across America or whatever, you know, like one of it, Pod Saves America, something that like that. This podcast doesn't deserve that. Doesn't deserve <laughs> did that. you just did you just combine? Pod Save America with Hands Across America. It was a mistake. (laughs) It was a mistake. All right. You know what? Let's start. Let's start as we always start with our uh, Cleveland Browns update. Let's check in on the Cleveland Browns. How are they doing? The the Browns lost again, uh, Michael. Uh, Don't know if you knew that. Uh, They're they're not 0-13. Yeah. Uh, I think the big news of the week uh, was not the Browns losing because – that's not news. Uh, but but basically, they uh, – not basically. They just did. They fired uh, Sashi Brown, who had some sort of bizarre – he wasn't general manager of the team, and he wasn't president of the team. He was like some sort of in charge of – they had some weird, crazy, ridiculous title for him. Um, 
And then they hired John Dorsey, who is uh, as actually a general manager. So they hired uh, him as general manager. Uh, John Dorsey uh, with a a very strong history in football was the uh, Packers uh, general manager when they won the Super Bowl and then went to the Chiefs and built them up uh, quite a bit and and actually left under very odd, mysterious terms. None of this matters. I'm making I only bringing this up to bring up the one thing that the Browns did that made it a great Browns week, which was they announced that coach Hugh Jackson, uh, who is now uh, one and twenty eight as a Browns coach. He's right. coming back next year. They just announced it. They just didn't even want to wait till the end of the yeah. year. They just said, yeah, you know what? Hugh Jackson, he's doing great. Somebody else would not have the record and and, and that he has. Um, <laughs> we we have to bring him back. So Hugh Jackson is coming back next year, which which leads to the question, and I ask it of both of you. You on board? Can I get either one of you? Browns fan? Come on. <laughs> Any chance? Any chance? Brandon, what do you think? I love the Cleveland Browns because of what they are. And I know what you've had to go through as a lifelong fan. And I only get to do it from a distance where I just amusedly watch them lose every Sunday. And it, I love, and Mike knows this because I'll text him off the record, just all the time. I love long-running sports stories, things that are just universal. You can wake up in any generation. You go, this is, the Browns still suck. And you go, yep, I stink. And they're like, you're always comfortable knowing that. So I, I hope they never win. I hope this just lasts forever. And I'm a fan of them in that regard. I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan in the usual sense. Yes. Yes. Well, that's all fair. And by the way, you bring back Hugh Jackson, you're going to keep losing. So I think that that seems, that seems like that, that can keep that going. Michael, how about this week? Are you on board this week? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not back in. I'm still out. Um, Brandon, Brandon has this, uh, inter- it, it's a very interesting uh, sort of approach to, Sports, which is that he wants, like when Leicester City was making a run uh, in the premiership, Brandon's a big uh, football fan, a big European football fan. European and when Leicester City, yes. when Leicester City was making their improbable run towards the uh, premiership crown, um, they got in a situation where uh, they were basically watching from the from at home uh, to to watch. And who was it? Who was playing? It was Chelsea, right, Brandon? Who was in the game? Oh, I couldn't. I can't. It was, it happened was, over I think it was. I think it was Chelsea, but it was like right. Chelsea. If Chelsea lost, that gave the title to Leicester, right? I think so, that's right. So, right. I was. We so we were texting, and I was saying like, I want this as a person with no skin in the game at all, except that I love the improbable underdog run, as many people do. I wanted it over. I did not want Leicester. Leicester had had one game left. They were going to be at home against a decent team that was like I can't remember who it was, but it was like a good team. And I didn't want. I wanted it. I wanted it over. I wanted right. Chelsea to lose if it was Chelsea, and I want because I. I just didn't want the drama, the set, this the scariness of Leicester having come that far and then maybe blowing it in the last game. It would be too painful as a as a Red Sox fan. I I was I was imagining. I was reaching out with my soul and putting myself in the in the in the mind of a a Leicester fan and thinking like, if we get all of this way and we, and we have the final home game that we have to win and we don't win and we lose out on the title, it would just be too painful. And Brandon was saying, no, basically screw that. I want the drama. I want the, like, I want them down two one with like four minutes left doing like an all out attack, trying to, trying to tie. And I, I guess I get that from a kind of like, I don't know, from like a philosophical standpoint, if you, especially if you don't, if you're not a fan of the team, if you have no skin in the game, but I just, I can't take it. I can't take the <laughs> agony of 
watching a fan base go through that. But he, I would say, and you can answer for yourself here, Brandon, but like you're like, there's a part of you that feels disappointed when, for example, the Cubs drought ends or the White Sox drought ends or whatever, because you like the on, you like the kind of saga, the like long term, long stretching out narratives and and stories of franchises that have something to like overcome or whatever, however you want to say. I love it. And I think it bonds like I can't guarantee that Cubs fans are happier this year than they were two years ago. Like, I think that's just like it it unites you when you sit like you watch your team fall short and you, you look at each other and go, well, this is us. This is what we've signed up for. This is great. Let's all do this again next year and we'll all meet. And like, there's this shared misery and everybody else gets to laugh and point from the outside and all kind of, (laughs) and it's mean, but we all like, they're just consistent things. And the world is so inconsistent now and things change all the time. And you go, if there's just a few things that just stay constant, it's great. But the Leicester city thing is like, if you're watching a movie, you can't wrap it up in the first 30 minutes. And then we just sit through an under uh, an hour of just nonsense. It's just let it figure itself out in the last five minutes. And that's what I want with Leicester City, and that's what I want with any sports match. Like, do it at the very end. But were you willing for Leicester City to lose at the end for the drama? Like you, you say, though, you want them down two one, and were you, so I mean, you're willing to throw that. Like, you, you, it's not a movie. You might get the crap ending that way. So you're willing to accept <laughs> that ending in order to get the drama. Is what is is basically what I because I think what what Mike's saying is, hey, I I just I can't. I can't, I don't want them to lose. I can't, I can't deal with them getting this far and having this kind of miracle happen and then end up losing. What you're saying is, meh, whatever, but I'd like to promise. <laughs> yeah. He's, to he's willing drama. to risk, Brandon is willing to risk the sadness and the, and the pain. And, uh, and I feel like maybe that is because he is not a fan of any deeply long suffering franchise, right? right? You're an LSU football fan. LSU is always pretty good. Yeah, they're and you know they don't and they don't have they certainly don't have a history of like getting into like a championship game and then falling a point short. <laughs> it's not like Florida State wide left or whatever. Uh, and then you're a what are you? What else are you? You're a Liverpool fan, obviously. That's uh, oh, Liverpool boy. has a has a, a rough a slightly rough history compared to maybe Manchester United, but they oh, also don't no, no, they don't have like they're not they're not moribund. They're not constantly they're not. Right. The well, and they used to be the team. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they used to be the team. So is that, do you think that's the reason that you've never been a personal fan? Like if you were a personal fan of the Cubs, I don't know that you would have the same outlook on franchises. I don't, I, I think this, like, so as long as I've been a Liverpool fan, which is what, 12 years now, uh, my first year, right as I started is when they won the Champions League. So that doesn't count. That's a, that's a wash. Cause you're, that only makes you more of a fan. Cause like, that was awesome. So now right. since then, they've won nothing, essentially, since. So you go, okay, now I'm a long-suffering fan. I've paid my dues, <laughs> which just isn't the case. But I think, what if they just came back this year, won the Premier League, and I'd be so excited the whole time, and it'd be great. And then we go to next year, and the only thing that would happen was it would get worse. You just spend the whole year going, we're not as good as we were last year. This just wasn't, this isn't as good. We're not up to that level. And then you'd be long-suffering from that point on. So I haven't had like a long suffering situation, but I think the mentality exists where like once you've won something, you, we all become Patriots fans where you're like, this isn't good. This is all you just become so, so elitist. I so love this <laughs> philosophy. This is totally like, you know, you win a lottery 
the taxes will kill you. <laughs> the taxes. <laughs> no, no, that's not even what it is. What he's saying is literally I, he wants to get the first six numbers of the Powerball right <laughs> and then miss out on the last number and go, oh, you know what? Next time I buy a lottery ticket, maybe it'll, maybe I'll hit all seven. Or so, like it's insane. It's an insane. Oh, no, I don't philosophy. want that. For, I don't want that for myself. I don't think. Like, I, okay. Let's get. I want to see other people do that, so you can kind <laughs> of enjoy this misery. Like, I don't know. Everybody else is a play actor in the world that I'm just watching. I think and it's, it's, it's horrible. You are the protagonist in your own story, and you are enjoying watching all of the suffering from the people from the characters <laughs> yeah, who are less important. Than you everybody are. down there, they're they're horrible <laughs> sports teams. I'm just amused to death with. I love this. I love this. But you know what? I, I'm not there. There is a part of this that I that I kind of agree with. And it's not I wouldn't go to the certainly to the to the length that you're going. But there's a part of this I agree with, which is that it's not the same thing being a Cubs fan anymore. And it's not the same thing being a Red Sox fan after no, 2004. It can't be. It can't be the same. It, that There is. Now, it might be way better. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, all those years as a as a Browns fan, I would happily like take a Super Bowl and then deal with, you know, the new reality of being a Browns fan. But there is something to that, especially for the Cubs. Well, and the Red Sox too, but it's just been so long since since they won the first one. Um, for the Cubs, all of those years, it meant one thing to be a Cubs fan. It it meant something and 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 you know, parents pass that down to their kids who pass that down to their kids. And, and you have all these people like, Oh, great grandma, you know, she was 114 and you know, whatever. And, and it's what it meant to be a Cubs fan. And then they won and it doesn't mean that anymore. I mean, that's, it is interesting. This is, this is insane. You're both insane. I, I mean, this is, this is so crazy. Yes. It meant one thing to be a Cubs fan. That one thing was misery, yeah, misery. pain and suffering. And basically, and what you're saying is what you're suggesting by well, longing that. for that is that there's nothing else in the world that can replace that misery, pain, and suffering. My counter-argument would be <laughs> there's a lot of things that can replace misery, pain, and suffering. And the people who went through that both have that period of their lives where they shared this eternal damnation bond with their fellow fans and their grandmothers and their fathers and their daughters. And then they also have the pure, unadulterated joy and happiness of watching it end. So who cares? Like, like I don't understand the idea that, like, because it is, yes, it meant one thing to be a fan. But that one thing was terrible. Like, it's not, you're, you're talking about it like just because it was pure, that means it had some value. And, it, and if it had value, it was the value of people who were who are joining, linking arms and suffering terribly. And I, the idea that you wouldn't want those people to then ex turn around and get to experience a single moment of joy and relief and, and happiness is no like cruel. It's deeply cruel. And, and I, I, I just, it's, it's a crazy fallacy to imagine that nothing else that there's nothing else that a group of people could go through that will also bond them. Of course there is. There's a million other yeah, things. That's not, I mean, look, I, and maybe Brandon is saying that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, uh, Brandon, you can speak, speak for yourself. I'm saying not that it's a bad thing. What I'm saying, of course, it's wonderful for Cubs fans and the joy and it's great. I'm just saying that now it's different. It's different being a Cubs fan. It's different. And that one thing that all those people had been longing for has happened. And that's great. And, and it's wonderful. But now, like it's it, it'll never be the same like but if you had chronic neck pain yes. your whole life yes it, you had chronic neck pain and for I was 83 a, years and then you went to a, chronic neck pain yes and then you went to a doctor and the doctor's like oh here i'll give you this pill and it'll fix your <laughs> chronic 80. neck pain 
You wouldn't go like, well, no, I'm not going to no, do that because for not. my whole life, it's meant of course one not. Nobody... thing. It's meant one thing for me to walk through life and I go to a group. I have a group that we meet in a church basement every week and we talk about living with chronic neck pain and I'm on an internet chat room and we talk about like what it's My like, what it's like to go pain. through life with chronic So no, I'm not going to cure it. Because I, because it's my whole life, it's meant one thing to move through the world, and that one thing has been chronic neck pain. And so to cure it would be to to it would be different. It wouldn't be the same. I wouldn't be myself anymore. I mean, this is. But then you win, and you start judging other people whose neck don't feel as good as yours, and you kind of like, well, maybe if you had done this, you kind of would have earned a better neck. I and I did it. We did it. So I think <laughs> your neck's not as good as my neck now. And then you're instantly not a neck pain person. You're a free neck pain person. And you, now you get to judge the whole world. Your, your outlook changes. You're just not the same I person anymore. I literally can't My believe I cannot believe that you're, either of you is digging in your heel. That this is the hill you're choosing to die on. That you, that you think it's better to be suffering no, no. the miseries of, of fandom than to have it relieved. Okay. It's right, crazy. Here's where I want to step out. And that's why, that's why I'm going to leave Brandon on the stage alone here. Because... I am not saying it's better, and I never have said it's better. I just said it's different and that there is a little some – I'm not going to say it's remorse. It's, I'm not going to say it's sadness. I'm not going to say it's any of that. I'm just going to say there's something a little bit different about it. It's, it can't be the same. Red Sox fans now – are the bullies. They'll never again get to be the poetic New Englanders who, oh, all the suffering. They'll never be that again. It's over. That You're the Yankees. That's what you are. So – Yes, but we didn't like being that. Oh, thing. I don't know. That's what you're. I that's don't know. The- a lot of Red Sox fans kind of did like. Being, a lot of them made a living doing that. Yeah. Just, just basically, just. You know, you meet those people who have <laughs> neck pain, and they like being the person with neck pain. Like I get to tell you about my neck pain. It's always that tragedy. There are people there are. who do like All that. Right. I look. I, I don't. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'll speak for myself. I hated it. I hated every second of it. It made me miserable. It consumed my waking hours. It distracted me from my friends and my family and my job. It made me a worse boyfriend. It made me a worse husband. It made me, if I had had kids, it would have made me a worse father. It made me think about my life. Fan anyway. I mean, it would, you know, the- I mean, yeah, exactly. I didn't. And, and this, by the way, is probably a good segue into the real reason we brought Brandon on, which is to yell at him about the uh, in the same way we yelled at Steppenwald because Brandon, first of all, used to play for the Yankees, which, by the way, as his friend, I took as a personal betrayal. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I would like to actually hear some professional insight into what, from a pitcher, no less, into what we're facing now. We, and by, but I, when I say we, I literally mean the entire free world. United That's States right. of America right. and the world and the free world at large as we rally together in defiance of the Yankee menace, what are we, how, how bad is this really? And, and what is going to happen? Make your prediction. I want to before, and I want to add one last thing to that. And then, and then just to add the, uh, as people probably know, and this happened at the winter meetings, the winter meetings, when I got to the winter meetings on Sunday, um, the Orioles were absolutely positively not going to trade Manny Machado. That was like, that was the one sure thing we knew going in. Everybody's like, Oh, they're not going to trade Manny Machado. And then on Monday rumors started that they were going to trade Manny Machado and the Orioles were like, Oh, I don't think so. No, no, no. And then there were so many rumors that at some point the Orioles were like, Oh, I guess we are trading Manny Machado. Uh, (laughs) Because by Tuesday, like they're saying, Oh, suddenly we've taken six offers for Manny Machado. So I want you, when you are making this prediction, Brandon, 
to understand that their shortstop will be Manny Machado. That, 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 that's, that is yeah. going to happen. So throw him in that lineup. Now, how bad is it going to be? I, it can't be good in any in any regard. And, and I don't I don't hate the Yankees. I don't at all. So I, I can't commiserate with you guys on that one. I, but I, as a pitcher, that lineup, I mean, Judge looked like an absolute nightmare this year. Uh, and Stanton just became a next level nightmare. This year. I, there's a lot of guys, even the, in the postseason watching Bird, I thought that guy looks really, really impressive, really yeah, good. And he's going to be, he's going to hit what, eighth in this lineup? I don't even know where he's going to hit. Um, the DD looks fantastic. DD looks exactly like the player that we all thought we were playing with a couple years ago that just wasn't coming out. And now he's there. And that's without getting into Gardner and, and the rest. And God forbid you put Machado in that lineup. I don't. I don't know what anybody oh. does anywhere. It can just be Severino can throw every few days and and no cruise. I mean, that's it's really going to Ser- be something. A serious something question special. for you: If if the Yankees made me their fifth starter and <laughs> and gave me thirty two starts, I, I, I love that this began with a serious yeah, question. I started thirty two games and I and like I had I I won't say that I had they had to throw me for a certain number of innings because that would suggest that I would get an out. But if they had, if they, there was a rule instituted that I had to throw sixty pitches Oof. every fifth day, um, would the Yankees still win the AL East? With yes, <laughs> yeah, would, I right? don't think you could do that much damage in your sixty pitches. Like I, I think you could be like yeah, I think walk, like, walks, like guys, I mean, you're right? probably I mean, you're down five for like actually you're probably getting hurt. But then, yeah, I. They'll win at least a good handful of those games just by scoring 12 runs of their own. Right. Like you just get a whole bunch of no decisions and then you might lose a few and then the rest of the games they all dominate in. So yeah, they'd be fine with you as their fifth starter. <laughs> I think, I think, first of all, I think this could happen. I think this is, this is a real possibility. That's first of all. Second of all, my recommendation would be not to throw a strike. Right. I mean, I think what 60 pitches would mean 14 walks. I think that's what you, you do. See right? the, you just see 11. Because I don't even, I wouldn't 11. even try one. Like, hopefully, get a yeah. foul ball or something. Yeah. yeah. For the sake of the team, you got to get some out so it's not your, your bullpen's not picking up nine and a third or eight and a third innings, eight and two thirds innings. Yeah. You'll, you'll feel that sense of duty, even though you hate the team, but you'll like the guys in the bullpen. So you'll yeah. want to get a few outs, but you're going to give up some runs there. <laughs> it won't uh, go But well. I, I really think well. you, basically, what I'm saying is if you conceded, if you, if you basically conceded, um, if I had to start 32 times and you concede 25, there's another way to say this. If you started the Yankees at 0 and 24, let's say, if you basically say, like, I'm going to lose 75% Oof. of those games. If you start the Yankees at 0 and 24, do they still win the East? I think they might. I really think they might. Well, I would have put it even this way. What if their fifth starter has a seven and a half ERA or whatever the highest ERA? I mean, you know, it's sort of a, like Jose right. Lima one year had like that 70 RA. So you had a 70 RA. What would that guy's record be? <laughs> 14 and nine. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. I really think that's right. I think the bullpen would get a couple of those wins. That was so specific. I love how they, that felt like Brandon was a computer that actually crunched. Cause we've all done that over the years. We watched teams that just score unbelievable amounts of run and you when you do end up talking about wins and losses, he's like, do you see so-and-so has 12 wins already? And you go, that guy's not very good. And it's probably <laughs> sometimes about me, but it's like, that guy has a decent amount of wins. Why did that happen? And I call it team scores 30 a night. <laughs> it, it defeats the six that he's yeah. given up. 
Yeah, there and the, there is there's always an all star, or at least there used to be. It's less so now, but there used to always be an all star on one of the teams who was like, "How is that guy an all star?" And it's like, "Oh, he's eleven and three, right? Or whatever." Right. But his ERA is five forty, and he's, he's you know he has the same number of walks and strikeouts. <laughs> and then like in the second half, that guy just falls off the table because the team stops scoring runs for him. <laughs> Do you remember? The year Jack Armstrong started the All-Star game for the Reds. Yeah. It was 92, 91, somewhere around there. That was insane. He, remember, it was insane. because he, he really he actually was good the first half. I mean, he was something like 12 and 1 or something crazy like that. But he act like had a really, really low ARA. But what I seem to remember about it, and I'm sure it's just selective memory. What I seem to remember about that was Jack Armstrong taking the mound, starting the All-Star game, looking around and thinking to himself, this is as good as it's going to be. <laughs> You're watching me peak in real time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Now, Brandon, it's, you yeah, have I, a you have a World Series ring. You won with the White Sox in 05, right? You were on that team. Yeah. How often do you take your ring out and put it on your finger? Uh, never. I probably in the last, I would say in the last 10 years, I don't know. I've maybe seen it once. I think I'm, <laughs> I might be sitting in the room right now uh, that it's where in, it is? and I don't know where it's in or how to access it. Basically, that's anything <laughs> in my life. Like, how, how to access it? What is this? Like a James Bond house? You got like that thing? <laughs> no, that, I think it's. Weird. I think it's in a safe. Um, oh, so this oh, is. I'm nice. sitting in the office that we have in our house, which uh, Amanda took over. She made it. She runs everything, and so I'm yes. surrounded by bank forms and bills and all things that are just don't make any sense to me. My favorite possession, my World Series ring is here. I don't know where any of these things are. This is an inaccessible room. I'm allowed to sit in the chair and use a desk and then leave when I'm done. (laughs) I feel like if you can access it, you should. And you should, when we do our draft, you should be wearing your World Series ring while we do our draft. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like almost like a size too big. So it actually clangs around on my hand. It it becomes even (laughs) more showy for what it is. And you realize this should probably just be in a case in the house displayed maybe that way, but. It's a it's a good question. When you go and see somebody out in public, not in like a special setting, like if they're coming to like a reunion or whatever, but like a, a, an athlete you just happen to see at a restaurant or whatever, and they're wearing like at least one, but maybe even two World Series rings. Do you think to yourself, that's awesome? That's what I would do because that's so cool. You want them? Why wouldn't you just wear them everywhere? Or do you think, no, oh, that's sad. That's kind of a sad deal. I, I don't think. I don't think either. I think. Um, I think I totally get it, even though it's not something I would ever do. I guess like it, just understanding it's a different person. Like you go in some some athletes' houses and it's a shrine to themselves, or they just you cannot escape a room without realizing this person did this for a living. Or <laughs> and I don't. You could walk through my house without finding out anything that I do. There's just no no signs of it. So I think it's just this difference of like how much your personality is wrapped up in it, how much you maybe bled for that ring. I don't. I don't know. It's just, and it also feels very weird to have a one pound piece of jewelry on your hand when all you wear is, <laughs> is a watch at most. It's just all a little. If you guys walk strange. through my office right now where I'm sitting, you would think that I was on the 2004 Boston Red Sox based on the, <laughs> based on the amount of memorabilia and photos that are surrounding me literally right now. That's how I have other in my house. I, are you Lou, are you actually Louis Suarez or Leonard Fournette? What is all this, this scrap in your house? And then what do you what else do you do with your life? Like, are they related to you? How does how do they how does Luis Suarez and you? Yeah. 
Uh, I will say that when I, I went to Wrigley for the first time this year uh, in my life, and it was great, and I and I met a number of people who work for the team, and every single one of them was wearing his or her World Series ring, and every single time I was like, yes, of course you are, and you're you, you're not going to take it off for another well, year and a half at least, because if you've been waiting that long <laughs> and you had chronic neck pain your whole life, if you got rid of your chronic <laughs> neck pain, you'd probably be really happy about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I really I have I've I that's more the way I lean. More the way I lean, even though, you know, look, I don't have anything from my, you know, mi- minuscule meager career anywhere. I don't want any of that. But if I was an athlete and I, and I had a World Series ring, I went to see Tony Peña uh in in the Dominican Republic of, a few years ago and uh in his house, he has every single baseball that he ever hit a home run with, or at least <laughs> really? every one that he was able to retrieve, which I assume. Oh, yeah. And they're in like a giant case, dated and which number, you know? So, I mean, I'm literally going through like 12, 13, 14, 18, because he missed the couple in the middle. But there's like, I don't know how many home runs Tony Pena hit in his career, but but he, he has 80% of them in there. And then he said, oh, that's pretty good. And I'm like, that's actually really cool. I mean, I guess I wouldn't want to go through the effort to do that, but that's really cool. And he goes, oh, look over there. And there's a bucket with probably 500 <laughs> baseballs in it. And he's like, those are hits. Those oh, are wow. hits. <laughs> and there was a part of me that thought this is absurd. And there was a part of me that thought, God, if I was a major league baseball player. Tony Pena I might hit 107 major league home runs. Yeah, there were probably 1,687 major league hits. <laughs> <laughs> so he was only able to get like a third of the baseball hits that he actually had. I want to have enough right. things that like if we have grandkids down the road that and I pass away, they go yeah. through a garage and they're like, boy, these were really cool things. Like these six things he left behind are great. Not buckets of, <laughs> of balls or everybody I've ever struck out in my life. And they're like, we, we really have to throw away 95% of these things. Because we can't keep up these buckets of balls, so I, I think that's here, been my here's, philosophy. here's what we need to do, though. Here's what we need well, to do. I, this is our, um, this is our Ocean's Eleven style plot. I want to, I want to know if we <laughs> snuck into Tony Pena's house, and we removed from that bucket, yes. a ball representing a bloop single that he hit against the Brewers in 1984, <laughs> and replaced it with just a run of the mill baseball. Would it be a princess in the pea type situation where he like wouldn't be able to sleep that night and he would just be like plagued like there's something wrong there's something and he would run there's over and wrong. he would just rifle through the giant bucket of balls until he was like what is this and he held he holds up this <laughs> phantom ball it's like this is it. not the bloop single I hit against the Brewers in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. You know what, though? But I mean, there is a part of me that also thinks that that's look, this is because like, I'll ask you a question, Brandon. And and the reason I'm going to ask you this question is because I think you actually being a major league baseball player and so much more accomplished than than Michael or I, um, this won't make any sense to you. But like, has there ever been a moment where you've struck out like a great player, you struck out Pujols or you struck out Bonds or you struck out somebody. I mean, you know, that's too far back, but Pujols or, or whoever, somebody who's going in the Hall of Fame and you've thought to yourself, I kind of like that baseball. Like, has that ever even crossed your mind? Uh, Frank Thomas would have been the one. I mean, Frank Thomas. Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's, he's the hero. reason that's I play right. baseball. That's the guy that hung the moon for me. But I got to play with him my rookie year. We had some very, very cool moments. 
that next year he left and went to went to Oakland, and I cannot remember if I faced him that year, but I it, uh, I know I faced him in Toronto, and I I ended up striking him out a few times. And in the moment, they're not very real moments. You're just you're going through it. It's head down, and and then it was after I thought about it, it was like, oh, geez, I just struck out Frank Thomas. Come like, those would be cool <laughs> things cool. to have. And then I just left and went home and and did nothing. And I have no mementos from those games, but other than memory, so. There's some things I wish, yeah, that like, okay, I should have stopped and gotten something from that, but then I think it's a slippery slope and you that's how you end up with 2,000 baseballs in your garage. Who's the guy? Is it Pat Neshek who's like the insane memorabilia yeah, collector? Is that yeah, the guy? Yeah, the autograph guy. Yeah, him and him and him and Brad Ziegler will oh, collect right. everything. That's right, Brad Ziegler. So it's just submariners? It's somehow submarine <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Was Kent to Colby also a big memorabilia guy? <laughs> <laughs> I, Pat Nishak this, this past year, Pat Pat's, it seems to me every time I've dealt with him, seems like an incredibly cool guy. Uh, but Pat Nishak this past year got into a very uh, nasty little spat with Zach Granke. Yes. Uh, who apparently right. said he was going to sign something and then not only didn't sign it, but in, in, in very Granke-like fashion kind of mocked the whole notion that he ever would ever sign anything for him ever um <laughs> it was really weird but not weird at all knowing zach i mean it was just strange but i just thought here are two guys i mean i i don't know pat nearly as well as i know zach uh but two guys that i've run across and if somebody had said to me what would happen if these two guys connect that's what would happen i'd like there would never be a doubt <laughs> in my mind that's exactly what would have happened um uh, <laughs> uh, for everyone's edification, Tony Pena, 18 years and uh, played for uh, whatever, seven teams. Sure. Led the league in one category, one time. Ooh. Guess the, guess the category and guess the year and guess the category. This wow. Podcast wow. trivia. Okay. <laughs> By the wow. way, that is perfect podcast trivia. It's perfect, meaningless podcast trivia. <laughs> one category cares. once right. led the league. I'm going to say sacrifice hits. In 1983. Okay. Brandon? I was going to end up saying something like, it has to be, the way you're phrasing this, it has to be like hit by pitch or like grounded to double plays or something. Just Maybe double very off the wall like that. That's yes. a good one. Brandon is correct. It is grounded into here. double plays. Yeah. <laughs> he <in 19> <laughs> 1986, he grounded into 21 double plays. And led the league. He, he grounded to twenty three double plays two other times and didn't lead the league. <laughs> like what was who who came into the league in nineteen ninety well, that granted to by the twenty three? Ghost of Jim Rice probably had a you know <laughs> he still holds the record. By the way, Tony Pena and, and let me just say this because I mean, it's fine to poke at Tony Pena. Tony Pena was a great player, great player. Uh, won several gold gloves. He was four an amazing gold gloves, yeah, four yeah. all star appearances. One, yeah, two, three, he was five. really really a good player yes, yeah. and most famous in my mind. For smacking uh, Roger Clemens on the mound, do you do you know that 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 uh, that no. story? Yeah, I don't, he, I don't was, know the story. He, he was the Red Sox catcher, uh, and he went to the mound and and Clemens he to tell Clemens something. Clemens was young. I don't know what year was he with the Red Sox. Nineteen ninety to ninety three. So yeah, oh, okay. Clemens, so he wasn't yeah. that young. He was a little bit young, but he wasn't that young. And I guess something Clemens said or did or not paying attention or something, and he just reached out with his glove and he just popped him. On the side of the head, and I just thought, well, anybody that could do that to Clemens—that's that's that's pretty strong. That doesn't jibe with what I know of Roger Clemens. He always seemed like such a level-headed kind of <laughs> like a, like a mensch True. is how I would True. describe him. Like, like just a, a sort of humble kind of a mensch, like just really calm and centered, and uh, 
on like, Players Weekend, his back of the jersey would say Mensch. That's exactly <laughs> that was his nickname around the clubhouse. <laughs> I so will you never. Brought, you, made, you made me bring up Tony Pena's page now, and in that one of those seasons where he had the twenty-three, he finished twenty-first in MVP voting yeah. with a six seventy OPS that year. <laughs> That's right. If you ever need anything, like how has baseball changed in your time? Like here it is. A guy with a that. guy who had 19 doubles and that uh, finished 21st finished like registered on the MVP voting. He had seven home runs, 19 doubles and a 322 on base percentage. And he like, people were like, yeah, MVP. I think that's all vote for him. Yeah, I, I think he's close. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have fun, go, go back and look at Luis Aparicio the year he finished second in the MVP and almost won it. I think he hit, I think he has like his OPS was like 590 or something. I mean, it's, something it's something so low that you wouldn't even believe. Uh, there were some years of in like the fifth in like the 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 late fifties. Is it fifty nine? Yeah, fifty nine. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah. The MVP in vote in fifty in nineteen fifty nine. Yeah. Aparicio was well, second. Uh, yeah, he hit. So so Nelly Fox won it. This is this this is the craziest vote ever. Nelly Fox won it. Uh, he hit three oh six and had a seven seventy OPS. Luis Aparicio was second, had a six forty seven OPS. <laughs> And <laughs> and had three point three WAR for the year, uh, and then you, if you go down, if you look a little, there's Al Kaline. Uh, well, first of all, Rocky Calavito hit forty two right. home runs and finished and finished <laughs> <four>. <laughs> <laughs> and, Rocky Calavito's sluggy percentage was almost as high as Luis Aparicio's OPS. Uh, Kaline hit twenty seven home runs that year. Jackie Jensen hit twenty eight and eight sixty three OPS. Didn't come anywhere. He was tenth. It's the crazy – like, what happened? What weird spell did the uh, White Sox cast over well, the, the that was voters that year? They were the, that was the go. I know. But still, that's that's right. they, had a, they had a theme song. That's how you win an MVP. That's it's right. I guess they win it. By the way, that's back then, that's all they cared about. Literally, you do whose team won and who is, like, the one guy we can get away giving the MVP award to back then. You know, I mean, that, and that yeah. went into the mid-'80s, I think, or late-'80s even, where you just – who won and who can we get away with giving this to? That's that was who is the best? Who, is the, who best is the best white best? player? Like, who is who's the guy that we can sort of say kind of was the best, but we like him because of his leadership and whatever. I mean, it just it was a lot different. It was a lot different. Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. You know what? It's we got to go on to the draft. We 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 are we are already keeping Brandon way too long. Uh, it's time for our draft. I'm very, very excited about our draft. But first, um, Mike, any anything on your mind? Anything at all? Nothing in my mind. Wow. Literally nothing. My mind is blank. Brandon, anything on your mind? No. <laughs> Brandon, that's your cue, man. That that was your cue to 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 do the uh, to do the read. If you want to do the read, I didn't know that there was something I could read. So this isn't going to be as casual or offhand <laughs> as usually as when when Mike you free. You just go free. Yeah, I kind of free associate. Yeah. But I think on behalf of the three of us, we wanted to take a second to tell you about the StatCast podcast, a show dedicated to the analytics that drive front office decisions in the modern game. It's hosted by Mike Petriola and Matt Myers. And last week, they revealed some never-before-seen StatCast data on Shohei Otani and broke down how StatCast numbers may have helped the new Rangers signing Mike Miner. To hear all that, download the show from Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast by searching StatCast Podcast or by going to www.statcastpodcast.com. Oh my gosh, that was so much better than Michael ever did. 
That's so, so much better. You. That was embarrassing for you, really, honestly. That was insane. How did you <laughs> do <laughs> www.statcastpodcast.com without just so effort? The rolling pressure as that goes, that increases, is unbelievable. It you is. feel like you need to take the headphones off and breathe for a minute and go like, <laughs> like this is going to get worse. It's gonna, it's gonna fall apart. It's gonna fall apart. And just that was just yeah. a dominant performance. No kidding. That was that was. I mean, I've seen you do some good things on the baseball uh, diamond. That's that was way better than anything I've ever seen you do. That's the most. Imp- that's the single most impressive thing I've ever seen you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, by the way, and those guys are going to be thrilled. Uh, Petriel and, and Matt uh, are going to be thrilled. Not not just because they they got you know you to read that, but because you said stat because I did podcast <laughs> without, without messing up. I mean, that was incredible. It was I think it's because I've, I've listened to enough of the podcast in the car where you're like, come on, Mike, you smart guy. You, this can't be that hard. It's just two words. You're just saying it's enough. You, that's usually how I interact with your guys' podcast anyway. I'm in the car. You yell at us, you yell at us at, through your yeah, stereo. I just talk to nobody. You're actually our third guest even before you ever came on the show is what you're yeah, basically saying. I, just, I argue with you guys to nobody. You guys can't hear it. And I go back and I've listened to like, – I just keep coming on now. Like it started this chain of apparently this is what I listen to in my car. So now like today I was back in August at the end of the season and you guys are making predictions. And it's the worst listening to people make predictions when things have already happened because you just can't help but think these guys are idiots. Like, it's just, it's just, it didn't happen, Mike. That's not what happened at all. Like you guys obviously nailed the Twins and Yankees thing, but after that, it's like, oh, you guys got it so wrong. What did we say? We have no recollection, and we never look back at what we said. Yeah, what that's did we the say? thing. You don't want to remind you guys like it's don't wake up. No, sleep remind us. What did we do? What? To, how did? What did we even say that was so uh, off? Well, you guys were completely. Actually, most of them were were a lot better than thought. The you guys were completely certain, obviously, that the Yankees were going to storm through and win right, the World Series. Right. right. That but was, that's just. But that's also just uh, part of it. Is that's an inoculation against the pain that we fear is coming. We're kind of we're hoping to reverse jinx them by talking about how obvious it is that they're going to win. You know what I mean? Like I can't. There's no no part of me is going to take a rational approach to predicting whether the Yankees win a playoff series. The move is is clearly to just say, oh, it's over. The Yankees have won already. And so then if they don't, you're like, oh, thank God. And if they do, then you then you look like a genius. <laughs> yeah, it, there was a really good one I listened to that was painful. The the preview of game seven. Um, yeah, that yeah. one, I think we were taking a long drive and that came on. Amanda was like, why are we listening no, to this? And no. I was like, well, just I, like they're oh, funny. God, you made a, don't make Amanda listen to it. That's not fair. <laughs> well, it was just in the car. Like, go so ahead, but don't make your poor wife listen to we it. Don't, she doesn't we want don't to make our us. wives listen to it ever. They would never listen to it. Even if, if we, we I couldn't, if I, I tried, know. why would I? <laughs> it was just, I was driving. So she's in the back with Cass and making sure Cass would be asleep oh, for this long drive going on. And it was like the perfect perfect voices that would help her sleep we thought <laughs> okay okay now i get it now now you're making sense yes you need something soporific to just put your child out just for the to, long to put her car down. drive yeah put on a there it's like three hours of just two idiots droning on it's, it's perfect. she truly 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 loves baseball and everything about baseball so the hope is to like snuff that out real oh. early with that so it's like, oh i just a oh, baseball podcast that'll end this <laughs> all right this was this, uh, is, this is this, this is, fantastic. is fantastic so good all right well this draft is this is brandon's uh request yes, in fact, this is brandon's I'm choice tell you, Brandon, so why don't we why don't we let him uh, introduce it and tell us all yeah. about what, what we're we doing, doing today this this is so i haven't listened to enough of you guys like this is the worst thing you guys have done right this oh, this coming easily up. no no not even close have you no, guys I had a worse like 
there aren't I, I don't even know how many rounds this draft goes or what the what we're actually <laughs> drafting. Um, we never do. That's part of the point. I guess that's true. I but like the one with Linda Holmes, where it was like your hidden pleasures or like the small pleasures, like that you could go hundred rounds us, on. And that's, she raised us. That's fantastic. She yeah, raised us. She, she really totally did. raised us. I mean, that's not. She raised the level of discourse. Oh my gosh! But by like a hundred percent, it wasn't even close. Yeah, I think Joe was when you went to Q-tip. That's when it kind of it was like he had just gotten toothpick, and toothpick was like, oh no, that was a really smart choice. That was great. You were like also a Q-tip. Yeah. Like you had a list there, and I felt like you you just kind of browns it and deviated from the list. <laughs> I often do. I often do. <laughs> but this All right, draft, so what are we doing? I don't even know what we're – so it's We Are the World. Right. I don't know if it's their actual careers or it's oh, just no. their performances. No, 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 no. I, not the way I understood it. Okay, perfect. Because I, I know nothing about We are career. literally drafting We Are the World people based on what they did in the We Are the World video. Great. Right? Is that – I will it? remind both of you, by the way. That part of the point of these stupid drafts is that no one abides by the same <laughs> That's rules. True. We're all That's true. Like, the topic is we are the world singers, and it is entirely up to each of us whether that means based on how well they sing in We Are the World or just their career. That's the list of people. Pick your career. It doesn't That's matter. Fair. Because the point of these drafts is that no one is playing by the same rules. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing so, what we have is that Brandon, as our guest, you do have the first pick. That's right. Brian I do. First. I do. But I, you, I think Joe, you know, contractually being part of the Baseball Writers Association of America, that I don't actually have the first pick since you have a pre-draft deal worked out with one of the singers. Uh, you'll be disbarred from the organization if you don't choose him. So that means I can't choose him. Uh, I'll wait until you make your pick to let him do it. I'm not going to ruin that. You are going to be surprised, Brandon. You are going to be totally surprised. I'm just telling you that. That's all I can say. Go ahead. Oh wow. There's no way you cannot choose him. <laughs> I can't even imagine. You can't get into a press box again if you don't choose them. <laughs> so I don't. I. This is an impossible draft going through this. I love this song. This was um, my dad had the video. So this came out in '85. We probably had it around the house in '86. I'm two, three years old at this point, and he would play it for me, and I just wanted it on loop. He would just rewind it and play it, and I would just sit there and bob in front of it. And so for years, this has been one of my favorite songs. And I know. Mike, we've we've talked about my taste in music. They're horrific. The music yes. that I like is just awful. So yes. my musical opinion should never be taken seriously in any capacity. Correct. For some reason, this song just does it for me. I know nothing about the careers of the people in the song. This is Great. just a one-off. But So I played it a couple weeks ago for my daughter just to see if maybe she's almost two. I wondered if she would just stand in front of the TV and bob. And sure enough, and? she did. And then I got on another run of We Are The World and just watching it over and over and over. Flooding the house with this <laughs> this '80s charity song, and my wife just pulling her hair out. And so now I tweeted about it, and now here we are drafting. We are the world, but I think for my first pick, I have to take Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, there's another choice I really wanted to go with, but I Michael Jackson his his aura in the video is unbelievable to me, and I think it's all on his outfit, like. The notes that he hits, how good, how well he sings his small parts is fantastic. Knowing he also wrote the song helps, but he's wearing a black coat with gold adornments all over it with shiny silver socks and one matching glove with loafers underneath. The, the outrageousness of this outfit to come into a room with the biggest singers on earth and to go, this is what I'm wearing. And I will, I will do this, per- and everybody will go. That's what he's wearing. He looks great. I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. That to me blows me away in a way that I'll never understand. And so I, 
he has to be my first pick. I think it's, it's the right, the right choice. choice. It's totally the right totally choice. Totally the yeah. right choice. I, I mean, it's. Um, you know what else about his outfit? I gotta say is that it, to the, when you watch the video, it's like it's a perfectly crafted joke because you see <laughs> Lionel Richie, and he's like just a guy with a mustache, and then you see Paul Simon, and Paul Simon's very boring in the song, and you see like Kenny Rogers, I think, and you're like, oh, and then you're like, oh, there's Tina Turner. And oh, look, that's Billy Joel. That's nice. And they're just all people. And then out of nowhere comes Michael Jackson wearing the craziest thing you've ever seen. It's so, it is so wonderful. It's such a perfect Michael Jackson moment because you've seen like pretty famous people just wearing normal clothes because they were just like, we're going to go sing a song. And then it's like, well, this is what happens when Michael Jackson went to sing a song. He wore that. Kenny Rogers is wearing a USA for Africa sweatshirt. It was in like a swag bag he was supposed to take home with him. And he's like, I'm going to wear this. And Michael came in with a stylist and outfits. And he's like, I'm going to wear my gold jacket. It's great. The thing I love most about him, that outfit that he's wearing, including, by the way, the one glove thing that he just was like, this is my thing. It's the one glove thing. I just, this is what I do. Is that clearly... If like everybody went home uh, and and like say, hey, you know, you, Michael, you want to meet for coffee like tomorrow morning? And Michael said, yes, he'd show up in that outfit again. There, like there was nothing there was nothing special like about that outfit. That's like that's what he wore. That was him. That's that's yeah, his whole thing. It, it wasn't a reinvention. It, it was not. Like, that's <laughs> just these are my clothes. What's what's wrong? Let's see. Let's see. What's wrong. <laughs> All right. Who has the second pick? I have no idea. Who picked first last week? Uh, Are you kidding? I don't remember that. Um, (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take the second pick because I'm going to get this off the board right here. I'm going to do this off the board. Obviously, obviously, based on my own history and as Brandon says, being a, a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, there is only one choice for me to take. Uh, and, and, and I'm not taking him. I am taking Stevie Wonder with my my first choice. Uh, Stevie Wonder is so good in this in the video. It is you know it is impossible. I I brought I I introduced my daughters to the We Are the World video as well. They're older, um, but they still had not. I think maybe they had seen it before, you know, in class or something. I I don't know if they ever you know studied the eighties, but um, they didn't really know that much about it and. They don't know anything about Stevie Wonder, really, which is a sort of a failing, I guess, of mine. And they they walked in and they were like, you know, and, and he starts out kind of slow. He, you know, he does the thing with, with Lionel Richie right at the beginning. Um, but then he comes back and he does the, du- the duet with Bruce uh, and he just kills it. And he kills Bruce, by the way, just destroys him, just totally destroys him. And it's so good. And he brings so much energy to it. And he's so awesome. I, I mean, you know what? You know where my heart is, but there's no way I could pass on Stevie Wonder. All right, let me explain what's happening right now. You weren't supposed to choose Stevie Wonder. Obviously, you weren't supposed to choose Stevie Wonder. Right. You were supposed to choose Bruce Springsteen, sure. and I was going to choose Stevie Wonder. And so that's why I didn't even put up a fight when we were debating about who was going to vote, who take the second pick, because I was like, it doesn't matter. He's choosing Bruce Springsteen. I don't particularly like Bruce Springsteen. Right. So I'll get, I'll be magnanimous, give you the second pick, and then I'll get Stevie Wonder, which is the obvious <laughs> choice. And then you double crossed me, and you chose Stevie Wonder, and now I'm protesting this entire oh, thing. This is this protest. This, this podcast draft is under protest <laughs> formally. A yep. Number two and B. I am now taking a completely different approach to this. I am not going. Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder are off the board. <laughs> 
And so I'm going to do the opposite of what this draft was supposed to be. And I'm going to pick the five worst <laughs> we are in the world singers. I'm going the other way. I'm starting from the bottom and I'm moving backwards just out of protest because of what you just did. And this is on oh, you. The commissioners this is 100% on you because you were not, everybody knew you were going to pick Bruce Springsteen. And there's no reason for you not to at all. And this is a hundred percent. What's going to happen? I'm going to ruin the rest of this oh. draft. I, and this is, and it's all on you. Boys. So with my first pick oh, in the, we are the world singer draft, I'm choosing Bob Geldof. <laughs> Bob Geldof is a music producer who doesn't do anything. He just stands there. And by the way, Bob Geldof, according to legend, was part of the producing team trying to wrangle people with like Quincy Jones and stuff. And he got into a fight with Prince, Prince and, and yelled at Prince and called him a creep or something. And that's why Prince isn't a part of this. So I'm choosing Bob <laughs> Geldof, who Bob doesn't do anything, isn't even a singer, and and was a jerk to Prince and kept Prince out of being a part of this thing. And he's my number one pick, oh. Bob Geldof. And the rest – and this and everything else that happens in this draft is because of you. You ruined this. Goodell is going to come down so hard on you. I don't care. Bring it on, Goodell. Do whatever you want to me. I have, This is righteous fury because you, you betrayed me and you betrayed everyone who is a part of this, frankly, by choosing Stevie Wonder, who is my, rightfully mine. I deserve Stevie Wonder. And by the way, in that duet where he's with Bruce Springsteen, it's weird. It's not even that good because it's a weird, like, 80s half-dissolve thing that kind of looks like he's chewing on Bruce Springsteen's forehead. And, and I wasn't going to bring that up, but you ruined it because you chose Stevie Wonder instead of Bruce Springsteen. Ugh. So this is on you. I got to take it. What else are you going to say? I, I'm just telling you, the commissioner, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Okay, I don't care. I'll pay any fine. Send those FedEx envelopes <laughs> right to my door. I'll pay. I'll pay whatever. I don't even care anymore. I'm like, I'm like Warren Sapp at the or Rodney Harrison at the end of their careers, where they're like, yeah, just bring it on, man. Find me. I don't even care. I'm so. I'm so I'm. I know that I'm right. I'm on the. I'm on the right side of this. Well, I will say by picking the. If you're picking the worst, you you nailed your first pick because. Geldof yeah. blows. That's awful. He's just wor worthless. All right. All right, Brandon. Second pick. Well, now with this all getting screwed up, now it's just actual draft strategy. Like, I can't let you get the value of having spring scene in the second. And I can't <laughs> oh, let you no. save face. And I can't believe he's there for me in the second. So I have to take spring scene in the second. And I... I love I what's happening right now. You're I love it. I love that you're denying Joe Posnanski, Bruce Springsteen. That's great move. I love his – so that there's a two performances that stick out from when I was a kid. There was Michael Jackson because I had so many questions about him because you're a three to a six-year-old at that point, and nothing about him made any sense to the, to the child mind I had. And then there's Springsteen, and it like he sounds nothing like anything else in the whole thing, so I just loved it. And I don't know – only recently, when you decided that we were going to execute this horrible idea of drafting We Are the World People, that I was like, all right, I have to look into some of their careers. So I started listening to some Bruce Springsteen music. And there's some that I like, some that I'm familiar with, some that I'm not. But this is his like performance to me that is like, oh, if he did way more of this, then I would love this guy forever. <laughs> like, I, I love watching golf. And every year, there's like charity and golf tournaments and like celebrity golf tournaments that Larry the Cable Guy goes and plays in. So there's guys that are ex-athletes who are really, really, really good golfers. And somehow Larry the Cable Guy always pops up in this. And it's all the get-or-done act. The whole time, he shoots 120. He's wearing Crocs. And nothing nothing works. But it's all his act. 
But this to me is like if Larry the Cable Guy came into one of those tournaments, his whole act, and he's flip flopping around and Crocs, and then shoot a shot a sixty four, and you're like, how did this all work? And that was Bruce Springsteen's performance. He's growling, his eyes are shut, he's clad in leather, and you're like, he won. He was great. He he was fantastic. You're just to be clear, you're arguing that you. <laughs> You you would like Bruce Springsteen a lot more if his if his overall body of work, starting from Born to Run and going right up until the present day of him on Broadway, were more like his performance in We Are yeah. the World. If he was just if he was angrier at the music he was singing and wanted to growl it more, I think would be. You're you're saying Bruce Springsteen hasn't growled enough. I, in his at career, least from the small sample that I've that I've been picking at. <laughs> But that's the other half of this. The other half of this is that you had to go investigate Bruce Springsteen. What's Bruce Springsteen all about? I don't know. I don't know a lot about this. Okay, my thought was that the BBWAA was going to throw me out anyway. Now that I know that they basically you got Bruce Springsteen after sort of investigating him, it's sort of it's sort of like somebody coming into like a football draft and just like winning the draft because they just, Oh, I just, I don't know. I, I bought a magazine and I saw something. This is what Bruce Springsteen is to you. He's like somebody like, Oh, I guess he was somebody one day and let me go investigate him. And that's I'm in agony. By the way, the other thing is you, you compared Bruce Springsteen to Larry, the cable guy. That was a direct comparison. Look, look, Joe, this is all on you. I'll remind you. None of this would be happening. None of it. None of it would be happening if you had just when done you, the thing you were supposed to do. When you read the backstories do. of the whole thing, of how this all came together, and that this was actually held the night that they had the American Music Awards, Lionel Richie had hosted, they come over. So all these people are coked out of their minds. You know they've all showed up in limos. It's all diva. <laughs> he parks his, his pickup truck across the street at a grocery store and just walks over the studio and screams into the microphone, and it works. That's where I get the comparison because he parked his own pickup truck across the street. It was like, there's going to be no pretension. This is going to be the act that I go with and I'm going to go over and I think it kind of works. (laughs) It's falling apart in my mind as I go, but it. My favorite part about the Bruce performance, by the way, is in the duet suit, his semi duet he has with Stevie wonder. He clearly doesn't know the words he's, you see him reading the, the paper. They're they're not, if you, you hear that song one time, you know all the words. It's not, They're all reading the words through the entire thing. It is the weirdest. It's so weird. They repeat. The song is 31 minutes long and 28 minutes of it is that chorus over and over again. And they're all just like they keep referring back. What is it? We are the children. We are the children. Okay, okay, great. Okay, we then- are the ones who make a brighter day. I mean, it's like the stupidest. All right. My second pick. Oh, God. There are actually so many good people on this thing that I really want. But I, tell me about it's, it. It's especially if you're going negative. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. You know what? I don't care. I'm going with Cindy Lauper with my second pick. Nobody brings the joy and the the just sort of bizarrely naive excitement to this. And maybe that should be. I mean, she, I don't know how long Cindy Lauper had been even like sort of a even like a, she, I don't know if she'd only had like one hit by then or if she was somewhat. It's it's kind of weird that she got like her own solo and like Bette Midler is just sitting on the outside looking in, which is just very strange. But she's like, I'm not letting this opportunity go by. And she brings it like nobody else. So Cindy Lauper with my second pick. 
it's a good pick in my opinion uh she her voice is great yeah. cindy lopper was was awesome and super underrated in my opinion um and it's a really good pick but i'll tell you who's a better pick is dan Aykroyd. <laughs> dan, a- <laughs> dan Aykroyd, my number two uh pick uh key part of this key part of the whole thing i think if, if you take Aykroyd out it the whole thing it's it's apart. It he's sort of apart. like a he's like a sort of a linchpin i would say to the entire enterprise um so yeah cindy lopper great her solo is great and and her voice is wonderful and she really kind of like she's a kind of change up and a pretty in a pretty like staid song a pretty boring song she really kind of like injects a little bit of energy into it but she's no Aykroyd, and so i think uh i've gotten a steal here at number two with dan Aykroyd. two the, the great thing about dan Aykroyd being well there are two things one is the fact that dan Aykroyd's there and then uh, there. Everybody you look at, you're like, well, that's just weird. Like you have all these people just popping up like, oh, there's the guy from Hall & Oates and oh, there's the other guy from Hall & Oates and there's Bette Midler and like, well, well, why is Smokey Robinson there? And then Dan Aykroyd has no business being there. So that's the first. But the second thing is when I showed my daughter, uh, my older daughter today, uh, We Are the World uh, video we were watching. And I said, yeah, I've got a draft and we're going through it. And of course, she doesn't know any of these people. She knows Michael Jackson. Uh, she don't know any of the other people. And she's looking around and she's like, why is Dwight right. from the office yes. here? <laughs> he totally looks like 100%. Dwight from the office. I really exactly think you guys like. took that character off him and that. You're like, you're like, what if we made a character out of that guy who was just in the back? And someone's like, is that Dan Aykroyd? I, when I, whenever I watch it, I, I have the strong sense that Aykroyd was super stoned, <laughs> walking down the hallway, heard singing, walked in and joined it. Like, I, I really believe that's what happened. He's like, what's going on here? Oh, hey, guys. And he just started singing. <laughs> That's so awesome. Good pick. Strong pick. All right, Brandon. So that my my third pick, and there will, there's this is where we lose all rhyme or reason in terms of performances. I'm going to go with Kenny Loggins uh, just because I – He's on this, my board. Like, He's on my bad board. He's on the bad board. That's exactly right. Yeah, well, we're not – there's no criteria for the draft. So once we've right. thrown that up, That's right. I Kenny Loggins was the first concert I ever went to. Uh, my oh, parents like Kenny Loggins, so oh, like, I still really like Kenny Loggins, and it doesn't. Oh. And diagram of my musical taste in Kenny Loggins overlaps nowhere, <laughs> but for some reason, I still really like Kenny Loggins. And then he's in that, and I like the voice that he has in that song is perfect. Kenny Loggins, it's like this all wow. I get this, and so wow. I love it. No, don't love it. Don't love it at all. Don't don't love <laughs> it a little bit. Because Ken, because Kenny Loggins is terrible in all ways. He's terrible <laughs> on the video. His career is terrible. And the oh, wow. Kenny Loggins had to go look up Bruce Springsteen. He's fully aware of Kenny Loggins. <laughs> knows all about the career of Kenny Loggins, but Springsteen, yeah. I to find out what this guy was all about. Ah, uh, this is. I'm coming around on Brandon's on Brandon's approach to music. <laughs> He's kind of winning me over here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would have Kenny Loggins on my bottom five. I got to tell you, it was awful. Just awful. All right. Uh, my third pick is going to be, you know, I mean, I, I feel like there's just a couple of obvious ones that I guess I got to just take. Um, I'll just take Ray Charles. I mean, I think you have to take Ray Charles. He's I got two blind singers in my group, by the way, which they're the two that didn't have to look at the words. They knew the words. <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they were forced to memorize them. Ray Charles is so great in every way. I mean, it's impossible not to be, you know, to be cooler than Ray Charles, but he's, He's the guy that's like he's he's bringing everybody up. He's he's bringing them up. He's like, come on, let me hear you. You know, he's doing that through the whole thing, uh, and I totally respect that. And and if anybody else had done that, really, 
even Michael Jackson, anybody else had done that, all the other singers would be like, shut up, man. I mean, we, we, we got this. We don't, we don't need you, but Ray Charles is so cool and so overpowering that, that everybody's just like totally gets into it. Uh, and he's awesome. He's Ray Charles. So I, my third pick is Ray Charles. Look, Ray Charles is great. Oh no. And <laughs> he's obviously a legend and he's obviously a key, a key part of the song. I mean, they go back to him a number of times, but he's no Lindsay Buckingham. <laughs> I mean, Lindsey Buckingham, the, his hair alone, hair alone, it makes he's way more valuable than than Ray Charles. And the fact that at uh, at certain times the camera is pointed at him during the chorus, and if you strain really hard, you can fool yourself into thinking that you can pick his voice out of the chorus of a hundred voices that are all singing the same exact thing. To me, that means Lindsey Buckingham. I mean, I this is a steal. I, I mean, this is a steal. Getting Buckingham in the third. I can't believe he's still on the board. I'm going Lindsey Buckingham. And I'm already, I mean, I've won this draft. I've, it's a, we, Brandon has Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, and Kenny Loggins. You have Stevie Wonder, Cindy Lauper, Ray Charles. I have Geldof, Ackroyd, and Buckingham. And I'm picking third. You guys are blowing this. And I'm picking third. Are you going to pick a person who actually sings in this song? Are you actually going to? No, I'm. Why would I? I'm picking the worst people. <laughs> the Lindsey Buckingham. Have you ever seen uh, Lindsey Buckingham or or Fleetwood Mac or or some combination in concert? Um, I uh, trivia question about trivia about me. It's I uh, when I was I'm gonna say twelve years old. I was the like thirteenth caller to a radio Ooh. station in. Um, in Hartford, Connecticut, and won tickets to see Fleetwood Mac at the <laughs> Hartford Civic Center and went and saw Fleetwood Mac. Was that your first concert? Pretty, no, my first concert, which is which rivals Kenny Loggins, I would say, it was uh, Heart. I, that was the first Heart's concert I ever went to. Yeah, Heart was pretty good. Yeah. and But yeah, Fleetwood Mac was like probably the second or third. The thing I was going to mention about that, Brett Brandon, have you ever seen Lindsey Buckingham in any any stage performance? Uh, maybe I truly, uh, up until a minute ago, I read on a website who Lindsey Buckingham was. Okay. Every time you said the name, I didn't know who this person was. And, and you it, were looking up, for, you were looking for a woman, weren't you? Uh, <laughs> yes, I was. I would do the same um, thing. There so is- then I saw Fleetwood Mac and I know last year Fleetwood Mac played at one of the Dodgers, uh, gala oh. dinners. Okay. And my wife was over the moon, excited to see, to see this. And I don't. She loves 80s music. She loves Fleetwood Mac. She loves all, like, and I don't know what any of it is. <laughs> I still don't know who Lindsey Buckingham was of the people I saw. If he or she is still alive, I, I, again, I don't know. This is all great. This is all, everything you're saying is amazing. <laughs> there, there is a moment in a Lindsey Buckingham concert, whether it's on Fleetwood Mac, whether it's him solo, whether it's him and Stevie Nicks, which is where I saw them, where they've got this, this like close up that they do of him playing guitar where like his, like, I mean, it's not like a, like a, like a sort of, sort of close up, but like it's on the hands. I mean, it is, it is just the entire screen is filled with his hands and he's doing, you know, whatever, you know, he's, he's playing the guitar. He's obviously a great guitarist, but I'm just, I loved that so, so much that it was sort of like, Oh, it's time for the Lindsey Buckingham hands thing. That's let's, let's do that. And they do it every single concert. And apparently it's like, for Lindsey Buckingham fans, who apparently no, nobody on on this podcast, um, it's like a big deal. It's like a big deal. He is he is viewed as one of the truly great pop guitarists of all time. 
So you got a little Lindsey Buckingham information for you. Yeah, I will take it. Like, so I, what I took from that was that he's a he, and so then I started to build off that. And now it is something to build off of right there. And he plays the guitar. Yeah, good. He's good at it. All right. You really, you really absorbed that. Good work, Brandon. <laughs> All right, fourth pick. Uh, so I'm for my fourth pick. I'm going to take Huey Lewis uh, for one one reason. I again, I know nothing of Huey Lewis in the news. I know some of their songs. I do know that. I have a I have a neighbor here where I live in Arizona who is maybe two years older than me. So he's he's 36, 37. He uh, his whole world is just the '80s. Somehow he just gets this world. He's too he's too young for it, but he knows everything about it. And Huey Lewis in the news is just him. So every time we get together. We sit on his porch, we all drink, and it's just 80s music, and he has to teach you about each one of the artists. So he's going to listen to this because I brought this up with him. I wanted some advice on this draft, uh, but I didn't take any of it because I still didn't know what he was talking about. But I love when he goes off on his tangents. So I'm putting this in just so when he listens to this, he goes, oh, Huey Lewis, and then he gets all excited. But (laughs) The the two takeaways I had from that, one was you said, I have a neighbor. I swear I thought it was going to be, and he's Huey Lewis. I mean, I just assumed (laughs) – yeah, that's. I think we all thought it was going there, right? Because, right? I mean, that's the obvious thing. But the second thing is, and and this is coming from somebody who just, I could not dislike your uh, your Kenny Loggins pick more. This is a good pick. Huey Lewis killed in that performance. He killed. He yes, like but do you know line. why he had to kill? So the first why? time, the first time Michael sings, he's followed by Diana Ross. And you're like, okay, right, you know, right. judge can hit and then Stanton can come up. This all works. <laughs> But event, the second time, they're like, all right, who should follow Michael Jackson, the biggest, That's true. <laughs> the biggest man on earth? They're like, Huey Lewis? <laughs> he came out and was like, well, I have to do something. And then he has this fist pump in the video yes, when he does totally. it. Like, I have to hammer home these 10 words that I sing and does it with this fist pump and like this full, now that I've listened to more Huey Lewis, like his full voice. And I think it's just enough to where he's like, all right, I think I acquitted myself here. I held up and that's a valuable performance. He kills. He does. I'm, I'm totally giving it to him. Totally giving it to him. All right. With my fourth pick, I'm going to go uh, a little bit off the board uh, for my fourth pick. Uh, I'm going to take Kenny Rogers with my fourth pick. And there's a very specific reason why. And it, it isn't even uh, because of the sweatshirt, which is fantastic <laughs> that he's wearing the the sweatshirt that they gave him like just before the show. I mean, what was he wearing before? Really? If you think about it. Um but that's not what it is, and it's not his performance, which is not that great, and it's not, you know, even the big sort of Kenny Rogers presence. The thing I love about Kenny Rogers is when he goes in for his solo, he knocks Paul Simon out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes me happier because Paul Simon, nobody mailed it in like Paul Simon did. But why even show up, Paul? Seriously, if you're not going to give anything, not nothing at all. He came in, he was just like, eh, I got to do this stupid thing for Africa. <laughs> and he was brutal. He was brutal. And then Kenny Rogers soars in and just totally just shoulder bumps him out of the way. Love it. So for that, Kenny Rogers is my fourth pick. It's a fine pick. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with it per se. Um, <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> Hugh <laughs> Lewis is, gives a fine performance, and Kenny Rogers gives a fine performance. But when you think about it, right, is either of them as memorable and as kind of important and as much a, like a sort of beating heart of the song as Kim Carnes? Oh God, that, that, you stole my fifth my fifth pick. That's 
<laughs> I mean, uh, to me, when you think we are the world, what do you think? I, I close your eyes. Right. I say to you, we are the world. What happens? Two words pop into your head right away. Kim Carnes. <laughs> that's Carnes. what happens. Yeah, Which that's is, that. is exactly how much she got in the song. Was two, <laughs> two she got two actual syllables. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but that's a but they're the two most memorable syllables. <laughs> and I think that like uh, there is no that, look, a lot of people did a lot of work on this, obviously. A lot of people like the writing, the production, the the organization, all that stuff. No Kim Carnes, there's no We Are the World. I think that it's as simple as that. So I'm going Kim Carnes with my fourth pick. The, the great thing about Kim Carnes is he's she's right there as the song is really beginning to take off. Like that's she's right there, right in the middle of that whole crazy, you know, period where where the song changes a little bit and Cindy Lauper has just killed it and Huey Lewis has just killed it. And I I I think she's trying. I mean I do. I, I She's Kim Carnes. I mean, I don't know exactly how how did that happen? Like, how did they they had she all of these stars. Kim Carnes was a big deal at the time. The Kim, not that big a deal. Come I, on. I, she's I, that one No, Betty she was she wasn't Davis. not a big deal. Like it, around then, I mean Betty Davis Eyes was a huge song. It was a big deal. That was a it gigantic was song. This and that was what that was, let me see, that was eighty one, right? Okay, so that's and, a little old. Yeah. yeah. So a couple years before. But like there's no like she there she did a lot of uh, she also sang um she did a lot of like um duets with a lot of people in who were in the she did a duet with Kenny Rogers like she clearly like, knew all those people everybody did a duet with Kenny Rogers yeah, right I mean at some point <laughs> this uh, is like this is like the the singer for Call Me Maybe if they did that this year they did a weird an Africa you know song this year and they had her. The one that did that "Call Me Maybe" song, in, like in the middle, like she's, Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, Carly she's, Rae Jepsen. Big deal, like, though. She's like she's had more songs since then. She's a that's not that's has she? yeah, yeah. She's like a people like her. <laughs> I like her. I like that song, but I didn't know she'd done anything since then. Yeah, uh, she, yeah. So it's clearly, like there's a there was a Kim Carnes wasn't it wasn't crazy to have Kim Carnes there. I think it seems crazy now because her career didn't really extend that much. Past, past nineteen eighty one, yeah. which was four years earlier. Well, no, but pay it, it didn't go past We Are the World that much, and so it seems crazy. But I think at the time it would have been it was it was perfectly natural to have Kim Carnes there. She just doesn't really add anything to the song. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're saying that if Kim Carnes had been like in the Bette Midler role where she did nothing, that people would have been like. You can't waste Kim Carnes like that. No, I don't think that. But there's there's 85 people in this song, and most of there them don't do like... anything. Like, uh, and and the way that you know that most of them don't do anything is several. The good people are used more than once, right? They go yeah, they go true. back to Ray Charles multiple times and Stevie Wonder <laughs> multiple times. Like that's it's like they're, they're you know even like Willie Nelson only gets one ver one little you know, line or something. True. Like that's true. All right, there we go, Brandon. Fifth pick. Oh, Brandon, so it's five, five rounds of this boy. I don't even. <laughs> this is it. Um, um, like the old baseball drafts where you just quit after X amount of rounds and you're like, that's, that's enough. We have enough. We have enough good players, I think. <laughs> can, you guys just take, just, can you guys pick for me? Like auto pick for How me? How many minor league now? teams that do we have great. to fill this out? Um, <laughs> oh, man. I don't. I really run out here. Um, I just gave you the pick, man. Who's Willie Nelson? I mean, she's just sitting there. He was brutal. No, what's the... yeah, he's Willie Nelson. He's Willie so Nelson. Willie, yeah, Willie Nelson drives me nuts. The the Bob Dylan in there, I think, obviously has to be your fifth pick because he's well. One, I just don't. I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, but 
he is as mailed in as it gets. I feel like in that song where it's like, <laughs> he's just standing there as he looks like he's been electrocuted. Then you read the story of it and you realize that's where Stevie wonder really was the most valuable that he had to like walk him through his performance. Um, but I think I'll, I'll take Steve. I'll take Steve Perry. Um, and for no reason other than after we won uh, the World Series in 2005, Steve Perry, for some reason, was along, um, along the journey. Like, he was with old. us in that postseason. Um, I really don't know why. Um, but after <laughs> – it was like Don't Stop Believing was kind of our, our theme song for some reason. I don't really know where that came from. And – it, there, here's a side embarrassing story to this is so every every rookie pretty much in the league at some point has to go up to the front of the bus on a road trip and sing a song and to me singing or dancing in front of people in any capacity just tears me apart inside I can't even it gives me anxiety like nobody's <laughs> so there's a random road trip in in August or September and I've heard don't stop believing before but I don't really know what it is I I don't know the words and I know I'm going to panic. So I go up to the front. I have my headphones in while I sing this because it's the only way my brain won't completely shut down. I sing it. <laughs> I sing it terribly. I get booed off. I go sit in my seat. Then like a month later, it's like our anthem when we're in the postseason. And then Steve Perry just starts showing up. He's there like at almost all the games. <laughs> and after we win the World Series. Is he, a, is he a White Sox fan? I don't think so. I thought I saw him with like another team. Uh, the last few years. Yeah, he's been with every team that has won the World uh, Series. Has he's Perry just singing don't everybody stop uses believing. that song, and then he just follows he's the just, cameras. He's just there, yeah, and he's in the right. locker room for celebrations. But the celebration area was right next to where my locker was after we won game four. And so we've all had drinks, and then like someone puts it on the speaker, and he's there. So we all just start singing with him. And then it just ended up at one point, it's me and him singing one-on-one just for like 10 seconds. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I've at least sung one-on-one, Don't Stop Believing with Steve Perry one-on-one in my life, which doesn't mean anything to me, but to a lot of other people is kind of a cool thing. So for no other reason than that, he's my fifth pick. That's that's strong. That is really I your life. Your that, I life. mean, that's, you get that's to... the best reason to pick any of these people that any of us have come exactly. up with. Exactly. <laughs> So, first of all, Steve Perry totally killed it in that song. He was awesome. He was awesome. He he made it like a whole journey song, like in his own way, one line, but he turned the whole song like into a completely different song just so he could like journify it or whatever whatever that is. Uh so that was great. That was that was that was awesome. Um So I think it's a great pick. I I I kind of agree with you. I I don't understand. I in fact I don't want to take Dylan just because I want Mike to take him as one of his five worst uh, at the thing. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and take, all right, I'm going to tell the person who I think is the most surprisingly good uh, person at the, at there. Cause I mean, there are, there are people out there that underperform they're Paul Simons and, and there are people out there who do pretty much what you think they're going to do and they're fine and and whatever. But the one that kind of blew my mind just cause I did not expect it at all. Dion Warwick totally yeah. killed it. Dion Warwick was like a star, like what, 20 years before? Like she's really more early 70s kind of thing. Uh, so it's weird that she's as prominent. This is more younger, you know, people obviously have Dylan and some of the others, but I mean, she she gets in there. She's awesome. I mean, she like totally took it seriously. She she clearly had 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 tried to figure out what the words meant to her. She was singing her heart out. 
give it up for for Dean yeah, Norwood. the best man I think you're that, right. I, I yeah. I'm surprised that you were surprised that she was good she's like she's awesome she's always been awesome well, at just, everything she's she's great yeah. she's great yeah that's true that is true I just it just she seems a little bit out of place there right she just seems like like oh that's kind of strange Dionne Warwick's there but then no I, I feel like she's it would have so been good. weird if she hadn't been like in 1980 whatever it is 1985 if you don't have Dionne Warwick in that mix you're blowing it I think I think she was. How about no Smokey Robinson though? Like, I mean, don't you think Smokey Robinson deserved like a word? <laughs> well, over, I would Kim, say yes. If Kim got two syllables, he gets one. Yeah, Smokey Robinson deserved it more <laughs> over, like you know, um, yeah, Kim or Al, even like Al Jarreau. I would say he uh, like yeah, there's yeah, a couple people yeah. who kind of get or get in there a little a little bit of a featured moment, um, but. Uh, <laughs> James Ingram, by the way, James Ingram killed. He's he's not going to get picked, but he. Was um, I mean, for my fifth pick, and this is embarrassing to both of you that you've you left this on the board. Um, if you <laughs> if you go to the Wikipedia page for um, for this uh, song, uh, it, the musicians are broken down into three categories: conduct or really, it's well, there's conductor Quincy Jones, the conductor, but it's soloists, chorus, and then uh, instrument players. And the saddest part of this sad thing is that in soloists, you have Daryl Hall. And in chorus, right. you have John Oates. <laughs> and, now, <laughs> and now, look, it's a kind of a hacky old joke uh, uh, to, to make fun of Oates from Hall and Oates. And, and I get it. I get that it's hacky. It has been done before. It's a, we, I wrote a sketch on SNL in like 1999 where... Uh, Chris Kattan played John Oates and it was like he was just it was the joke was like he had nothing to do um, but I can't leave John Oates off of my board when he was sadly cleaved from his partner who got to sing Daryl Hall and then he was not he didn't get to sing he was in the chorus and for that reason only that uselessness uh, that that like Wikipedia level categorical uselessness of John Oates makes him an easy pick at number five. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is such a good pick. That is such a good yeah. pick. I don't believe anybody uh, over the last 30, whatever, 40 years uh, has been as as jilted as John Oates was until. Alan Trammell got in the Hall of Fame and Lou Whitaker didn't. I think that's, <laughs> that's basically the same thing. That is what I think is the same thing. Yeah. yeah, you're not wrong. John, like Jack Morris took Lou Whitaker's spot in the Jack Hall of Morris Fame. Jack Morris is Kim Carnes. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah. Don't you let them sing together? Why would you do that to John Oates? It's so sad. It's, a sad, it's like the saddest thing. I know that the entire enterprise is kind of sad and maudlin because they were trying to raise money for victims of, uh, of international tragedy. But even perhaps as sad as, as that is that they cleaved John Hall, uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates and gave one of them a line and one of them didn't have any lines. I mean, that's, that is so depressing. What do you guys think about the fact that we, there was a time as the song begins, there was a time when, you had all of these incredibly, I mean, the biggest stars. These are some of the biggest rock stars in history. I mean, if Prince had been there, you almost have the whole, you know, you have you have Bruce, who obviously 
Now Brandon know who's, knows who he is. Uh, <laughs> you got Bob Dylan. You got Stevie Wonder. You got Ray Charles. You got you got Diana Ross. I mean, it's just this it's huge. And they said, all right, who kicks this thing off? Lionel Richie. Nobody but Lionel Richie could possibly be big enough. But to again, kick man, it. I think at the at that moment. He was big. There he was, no, no, he was big. People but... who were bigger than Lionel Richie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, feel like I, I feel like right now, if you did this right now, the person who got the first line would be like, someone like Ariana Grande or Selena Gomez or something. And like, then you, if you jumped ahead 35 years, you might have people going like, why the hell they give Ariana Grande the first line. But at that moment, it was like, she was the biggest, like one of the 10 biggest music uh, musicians in the world. And I feel like that's true of Lionel Richie, like that 80, 1985 Lionel Richie, like that's a he was massive big. star. He was big. He was big, but I'm just saying it doesn't, it doesn't hold up. That's what I'm saying. But he, I mean, saying he hosted earlier that night. He hosted the American Music Awards and then wrote this song and came over and was like, I'm going to knock out one line real quick and then wrangle in coked up superstars for the next nine hours of my <laughs> night. Like, he's deserving of a pick. By the way, did you know? You, by the way, I, because I do not know any, any like, like trivia about this. Are you saying he wrote the song that night, but between when he when he goes to the awards and when he came over there? No, there's a good story of like him writing it at Michael Jackson's house, and Michael Jackson has like a python at the house with no furniture, <laughs> and the python sneaks up on Lionel Richie. There's a whole Rolling Stone did years, and I had to rig, look all this up today after reading it a couple months ago of like the story of him writing it. Michael's got no furniture in the house and just stuff all over the floors. <laughs> And then a python <laughs> comes up while he's trying to write the song. And they, they wanted it to make it catchy enough where it was like a national anthem, was there, which is just a funny thing to me. They're like, this is going to be so important. It's going to be like a national anthem. In terms oh, of God. Songwriting. Imagine if imagine if something something weird had happened and that had actually become our national anthem. And before every baseball game and football <laughs> game and basketball game, someone has to come out and sing what? a nine-minute-long version of We Are we the World. world. <laughs> What, how bad would it be if people were kneeling and during the like, We Are the World? <laughs> <laughs> they sing We Are the World before every game, and then in the seventh inning of baseball games, they sing Betty Davis Eyes instead of, <laughs> instead of taking out to the ball game. It would be so much better. I'm sorry. It would be so The one bad. thing this whole thing is missing, and, and I would never have noticed this because I don't notice anything, but Amanda showed it to her a couple months ago, and she goes, is this not? why is Whitney Houston not in this? And we looked up her, and that's like the year that Whitney Houston took off and it became. And so now it's like, oh, she really would have been, she could have done something oh, man. great in this video. And so. I mean, I would, I'd be fine retroactively with basically removing everyone except for Stevie Wonder and replacing <laughs> all of them with Whitney Houston. It would be a way better song. That would be so great if you just started like putting Whitney Houston in all the other parts. Well, I would, I would, band. I would go Ray Charles. Stevie Wonder, yep. Whitney Houston, and Bob Geldof. I would say those are the. <laughs> Without Geldof, you, you just don't have a you don't have a show. You just don't have a show. I could be wrong. Am I crazy? I thought Geldof was part of the producing team, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was just a musician. I I, I very confidently said that he was there. I was very angry at Joe for <laughs> Wonder, and I got a little I had a I, little over my skis, 
And I, I, I said that Geldof was a producer. I, I'm not. I don't know if he was. I thought he was a producer on it, but he might have just. I've heard the Prince story though. That story I have heard. Yeah, that, that yeah. He, that he personally got. Whatever yeah, his role was, he he uh, he absolutely ruined it by uh, <laughs> by getting Prince to not show up. So uh, so screw him. <laughs> yeah, no Prince and no Whitney Houston. You know, and no Madonna. What about Madonna? Was Madonna not big no, yet? No, she wasn't. Uh, I can't remember exactly why she wasn't. I don't think she has quite gotten there yet, right? Is she eighty five. I feel like she was already a big I feel deal. Like she was. What? I mean, she was pretty. Pretty much at the same time as as uh, as uh, Cindy Lauper. I mean, they were pretty. They were sort of rivals there, briefly at least. Anyway, what a great draft. Let's just say that. I think I think you would say truly pointless, well, deeply pointless, and uh, maybe time. one of the most. <laughs> yeah, one of the most pointless things we've ever done. We got a lot accomplished. We've we've had a request and and uh, nobody's nobody has uh, prepared anything. So I mean I haven't uh, prepared anything, but we've had a request to bring back uh, one last meaningless thing. That this has been the the request that I've received the most of. Actually, it's usually it's not even a request. It's just angry people uh, saying your stupid thing is meaningless. Bring back that, so we, at least we can hear that song because that's like the only good thing in the entire podcast. Is that song? Um, so, do you think we can? Can we bluff it? Can we pull off a one last meaningless thing? I, don't, do I don't. I feel like we can't give in to the brow beating, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes, I know we have legions and legions of fans. We have hundreds sure. of thousands of people who right. are listening to this and who feel personally betrayed by us getting rid of one last meaningless thing. And we're getting literally. There, I think this year, this in the last month, we've gotten more than two million complaints to our hotline. That well, we letters about letters. Uh, about getting letters and just bags of mail and 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 uh, FCC complaints and all sorts of stuff. But I just think we can't give into the pressure. I think we did made a decision and we got to stick by it. And you know you're right because it was a well thought out decision that we yes. spent many hours considering and and. Uh, it wasn't just an off the cuff thing. It definitely just, wasn't a thing that we just decided to do in real time at the moment that it was brought up. So we we got to stick to it, man. We can't go back on our word. Now we All had right. another we had another idea for a for an end segment, which was it, things that are uh, we, we you called it the underappreciated invention. Uh, ah, yes. Some some kind of object that is like something we use all the time, or something that is like a it serves this like excellent little tiny purpose in our lives that you don't it doesn't get a lot of press it's not like the <laughs> screwdriver right or right, like the really cool the yeah steering yeah, exactly. wheel or whatever it's just some kind of little weird thing that when you that it just does a really good job at what it is and we would just take a second to celebrate the underappreciated inventions i liked that idea can we all do right. that or not i i think we can all come up with one of those in a few seconds because it's going to be stupid anyway <laughs> so. i can start if you guys need a second I basically can... i'm just looking around the room for something here you know yes <laughs> i can so. start let me let me start and if you, guys, okay. if you guys can take a second and think of something and if you can't think sure. of anything then who cares right because it's we were an hour 30 into this and no one's listening anyway <laughs> all right so here's my underappreciated invention and this comes from a, a very personal place because I collect books. That's my hobby. That's my main hobby. I yes. collect uh, books specifically, usually hardcover books. And my underappreciated invention is the dust jacket. The dust Ooh. jacket on a hardcover book uh, is a you don't like you you don't you never think about it, but it it's incredibly uh, useful. It first of all has the picture on it of what the book is. So when you're in a bookstore, you get to see like oh you get an ID, you can read the. 
about the author and you can read the reviews on the back and there's some kind of artwork on the front. And also, uh, it does exactly what it is supposed to do, which is it protects the book from dust. It's called a dust jacket. And it does a pretty good job of keeping the book clean when you're reading it. And as a book collector, all of the val almost not all, uh, much of the value of a book, uh, if you're buying it, is in the is in the yes. uh, how well maintained the dust jacket is. So if the dust jacket has chips out of it or if it's bent or if it's missing, if it's faded on the spine or whatever, uh, that is that's the the true kind of find if you're a book collector is to find a a book that you want to buy that where the dust jacket's in really good shape. So it actually is where a lot of the value of the book <laughs> is sort of contained. And so that's pretty that's a pretty amazing thing. You don't you never think about it uh, about what it does or why it exists, but it it has like a number of different aspects to it that are wonderful. So I'd like to just take this second to celebrate the dust. <laughs> I could not agree with you more. Could not agree with you more. You know, I went to a uh, like one of those very high priced uh, book um, like collecting. You know, like they they have them. They actually have them for some reason in Vegas. There 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 there's more than one of them in Vegas. There's like you know they're they're used bookstores, but they're but for, for high end collectors, right? So the books will well, some of the books will be as high as you know, $100,000, $80,000, you know, maybe more. I don't know. Um, but I'm fascinated by this. I'm not a book collector, but I, I love books. And, and I, and I got a very long and very, I thought very interesting lesson on exactly that. They were telling me about, um, I can't remember what it was one of the 1950s, like on the road, or it was, it was, I can't remember what 1950s, uh, classic it was, but it was, it was on the road or, or something like that. And they were saying that this this copy of On the Road, hardcover copy of On the Road, was eight thousand dollars. But if it had the dust jacket, it was like sixty eight thousand dollars. Like <laughs> yeah. it was like it was like it was like multiples, many many multiples. And I didn't, I don't. Why is that? Is that just because dust jackets are harder to maintain? Maybe. I mean, yeah, what's it's the... because like most of them have been lost or damaged. Like a uh, like you know they're usually just like in the old days they were just like thrown away or they were beaten up or you spilled stuff on them or you just they ripped in half or whatever. So when you find one that has the original. It's like in book collecting, it's the original binding and the original dust jacket are the two kind of like, oh, man, those are the that's the key to unlocking all. You know, you can like like you said, you can have a book that if it had its dust, it could be, you know, 300 bucks. But if it had its actual original dust jacket is like twenty five thousand or something. You know, yeah, it's really is cool. it like first editions? Like, how do you I, I just like book collecting? I can't the collection of anything that like you don't get, I guess, or like, you know, people have their collections. You're like, boy, how could you collect stamps? Like, so like collecting books, is it, is it first editions? <laughs> is it like, it's, it's the things I'm endlessly fascinated by because people love these things and they're, they're so important to them. And you're like, I know nothing about it. Like, it's just books. Um, is it first editions? Like, obviously the dust jackets, like, what are you searching for? Yeah, first, I mean, first editions, people get obsessed with uh, signed editions or inscribed editions. Uh, but, you know, it's really like you find your like authors that you love and then you try to sort of get like a complete set of all of the first editions of that uh, author. Like there are people who were insane about mystery novels, let's say. So they try to get every Dashiell Hammett novel first edition, you know, and, and they'll have like, you know, you have like dealers. There's like brokers and dealers who people are on first name bases with who like will call them and say, look, I just got a Maltese Falcon. It's, you know, very good binding, but, uh, you know, near mint uh, dust jacket, whatever. And I can get it for this price. And like. It's like anything else. It's like this at the at the super high end of this 
trade or, or people who are buying, you know, there's also like, there are people who are buying, you know, first editions of like, um, you know, if you're, if you're a super crazy over the top collector, you're going to like Christie's and right. Sotheby's and you're bidding on, you know, um, you know, the first edition of Samuel Johnson's dictionary and there's only 11 of them in the world or whatever. And you're spending 500,000 bucks on it or whatever. But usually for people who are, you know, not insane. Uh, it's more just like you have authors, you have like periods of time, you have like subjects that you're interested in. Some people are fetishistic about like Autobahn, um, like nature guides and sure, or whatever. Right. And and uh, you just have your little your little pocket of like, for me, it's mostly 20th century or late 19th century fiction. And so I just, you know, I have my like authors that I love and I search, I poke around and try to find like first editions of the of the books I don't have. You have first editions of all of my books. Yeah, I do. In fact, I have first editions that are signed and inscribed to me by you. <laughs> How about that? There, that? There's some value. Brandon, do you collect anything? Is there any collecting in your life? Uh, years ago, I got introduced to a bad habit with wine. Um, but that was it, – it's a very weird uh, – two of my closest friends uh, met years ago in Dallas. Um, guys that are – they're older than me, but they've – they had a wine brokerage business and we met them on this complete off chance um, and sat down with them the one night they got the keys to their new place. And it was this really cool uh, wine place in Dallas that the owner had been collecting wines for years and he was very tied into the community. Uh, his wife passed away and one day he just up and left the store, literally just left it wine glasses on the table with wine in wow. it, uh, this collection in the back. So they, um, they bought this place uh, after he passed on. And I was there the day they, they got the keys. We walked in and I had only met one of the guys one time and the other guy I hadn't met. And he subsequently become one of my closest friends. And so me and Amanda walked in. We knew nothing of wine other than we're early 20s and you're just drinking whatever the $4 wine is at a grocery store. And all of a sudden that night we started drinking some of the world's rarest wines just because they were finding them and opening them. And it was like, oh, we started at the wrong end of this. <laughs> so it was like, well, just pick up, pick up a few bottles. And so like now there's no going back to four dollars. It's like we've lost ourselves. Now, this is see, this is this is interesting to me. I don't want to like drag this out too much longer, but collecting wines makes no sense to me at all because when you it's like a thing where when you use it, it's gone. It's gone. Like I like when I, I can see like, this is where I was thinking I can pull a book off my shelf and read the book or look at the book and and then I put it back on my shelf and I still have it. So like if someone comes over to the house and they love wine or they're interested in wine or they also whatever it is and you're like, OK, let's open this together. But it was like if you had a first edition of a book, would you be like, here, you can take this home and read it? Like I know you've read it before. So like that's what I don't. Like the other collections, like other than a, oh, like a stamp like collection, it. you're just all looking through and you're uh, like, there's that one. And then it's to go to the next page. <laughs> so at least these are things that you can like enjoy. You can drink this or read this, I guess. I don't. You're right. It's less, it's less communal. Although I, there are a number of people who like to come to my house and sort of like, and I, and I'm not fanatical. I'm, I'm very careful about making sure the books aren't in like direct sunlight and stuff, but I don't, I also don't like, I don't have like no. You make them work. Love, yeah. So you make them um, so I, yeah, I mean, I, but you know, I don't, I wouldn't give them, there would be no point in giving them, it's not, it's, you're right. It's less communal. I, I see that it's like a wine is, would be a thing that you could like share the experience of it. And then you are replacing the bottle, you might say with some beautiful memories. Yeah, I guess that's really it. I mean, otherwise it, it is a very stupid and expensive thought. So you're like, it's just all sitting in this room. <laughs> and like, don't you dare break any of these. And can we drink this? Like, no, we can't. Like, even though it's it's probably drinking perfectly now, it's exactly how the winemaker intended. But eventually I want to sell this to someone in Asia. So 
let's all just sit here and leave this. I, I, it's a very weird, dumb thing. Yeah. Well, all collections at some at some level are weird and dumb. Yeah, and that's right? the point of them. Like they have to be something to you that everybody else just looks at you like that's weird. That's right. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you my uh, my invention, which I which I have spent you know several hours and days thinking. You really mold this. This um, is really weighing on you. I know for like the last month. <laughs> weighing on me for a long time. It's been a while. It's been a while that I've you know. I've, but finally, I feel like you know what has not gotten uh, its due credit. Uh, the keychain. The keychain, and by the keychain, I don't mean like the whole thing. I just mean those the rings, the the the, the little metal ring that is that is obviously uh, turned into a little circle, bent around, and you 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 put your key in between the the two the two metal things, and then you spin it around, and and it's a keychain. Um, has not been improved upon. Just it is it is absolutely perfect. It never breaks. They have now all of these new ones that are like super, you know, fancy where, oh, it's a, it's a twist top and you do something else. And those things, your keys will fall off within like three weeks. They, they don't work. The old fashioned keychain invented in probably, you know, something BC, <laughs> uh, <laughs> very, very important to the, to the ancient people to have their keys. In I don't one think place. it was invented uh, in something BC. Something BC. I'm thinking, um, it's a great thing. The great, the keychain. It's a great invention. So I'm, I'm giving it its credit. Thank you for very carefully walking us through what a keychain is, though, <laughs> <laughs> Just to, to make sure. <laughs> in a way where nobody would understand if they didn't know what it was. They would you, never you, it out you kind of made it more confusing. I started thinking, like, wait, is that? Do I have it right, or is it what he's saying? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I wrote it down. I spent a year. I know you put a lot of thought into it. You put a lot of research into it, and I thank you for that, as always. Um, Brandon, do you have an underappreciated invention for us? By the way, we just hit 100 minutes. I think of this. This is now. This may be the longest one we've ever done. This is a full length film. (laughs) This podcast is probably longer than the new Star Wars movie at this point. <laughs> but almost as good. The great, the great thing about this is, it is probably going to be the longest podcast ever, uh, and that record will last like five days. Oh yeah, we, we have a, we have an insane up. thing we're doing next week. <laughs> oh, more. I've I've spent the last thirty minutes watching my wife and daughter in the yard running around carefree, and my daughter <laughs> like that, dad, dad can't join. Watching your life go <laughs> by, just watching your life just sharing, go by, just like simultaneously googling yeah. Bruce Springsteen. Your daughter will remember, like for the rest of her life, like oh yeah, that day it was in December and the air was crisp and cool. <laughs> remember, and daddy? Remember? <laughs> why wasn't? Why isn't dad in this my is memory? Literally, the reason to live in Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> all right you got it you got an, you got all an right. invention for us or not you can say no it's more okay. um yeah and i panicked when you first said this because i had nothing and then i thought what's the smallest thing the dumbest thing in my that i can see from where i'm sitting Great. perfect uh <laughs> and i realized actually this made sense recently so it's the handle on a coffee cup <laughs> um Ooh, that's and I thought there's no. I don't think you could have come up with a better one than that. That is awesome. Well, this it made sense because we went to a place this last weekend, and Amanda ordered something, a tea or coffee, and they. It was kind of like the keychain, where the keychain it got too new and newfangled, and you're like, "Well, this all you already <laughs> figured it out the first time. Let's quit there." And they handed her this coffee cup, except it didn't have a handle. Where like the handle is, it was just a square 
like a flat thing. Yeah, so you um, kind of have to grab like on the, like the like on the flat yes, part of your in, curled yes. up index finger. Yes. Oh, the worst. Oh, and it was so stupid. She's she's holding it. I mean, it looked like someone drinking for their first time, and you're holding a boiling hot liquid. How they combine those two things to like for your first time with this experience was baffling, and she could not stop griping about it. And then it bugged me that you're watching this. And so now I got home and I saw our coffee cups and I was like, look how perfect this is. And I think that's <laughs> somebody at the beginning. Mine actually probably happened in BC. Yeah. Yours, yes. the keychain was not a BC thing. I, nobody had keys, plural, in BC, I don't think. They had one key, maybe? I don't think, I just don't like, think, nobody had, had a PO box. I don't think they had a little metal keychain where, or, uh, whatever, it's pointless to, to get. Maybe they did. I don't you know. Had a house. Do you, didn't, you didn't have a car. Your Hyundai Elantra and your PO box, you didn't need all these keys together in BC. Yeah, it's probably true. But I probably think you true. had to protect I'm gonna just yourself. Say this. I'm going to just say this. If you had like seven months to think of it, you would not have come up with a better one than the, than the handle on the, on the clock. That is precisely – what we're trying to do. I, although I will say that I, while he was talking about that, I thought, you know what else would be a good answer for this is the whistling teapot because it's such a cool, it's such a cool thing that the way it's like they use the, what happens when water boils, the steam comes up and they were like, Oh, this is the way we'll know that it's boiling is we'll put a whistle at the, on this teapot and that signal it, they used the, the actual thing to, that happens to make an alarm system. That's pretty cool. You know? They've never done that. That is cool. They've never done that for pasta. Right. There They've should be like a pasta a alarm, like... a spaghetti is ready alarm. <laughs> <laughs> now you will ask yourself, how did we no, get you here? Won't. That's what you're gonna say. Like, <laughs> you will not you will absolutely this? not ask yourself that. All right. The coffee, the coffee handle is so true. That is so and you're right. I mean, I think it's so good that people started going, yeah, we we could tinker with this and then don't. don't yeah, yeah don't do it. it just oh. leave it the way it is. We've all accepted it as a society. Let's move on to curing diseases and go to the next thing. <laughs> we didn't start curing diseases as a society until we had solved that problem. That was like. Until we had done it. Yeah, they were like, all right, I guess well, now we'll get to typhoid fever. Like now that we're, our hands are adequately protected, we can work with beakers and let's really go to that work. That was. That- I'm pretty sure that's what Jonas Salk yes. said. In his the first person he right thanked there. was he coffee thanked the guy who invented the uh, the coffee uh, mug handle because that's what allowed him ultimately to cure polio. <laughs> freedom up. It freed him up. <laughs> this is now an hour and 45 minutes long. Uh, uh, all right. You know what? It's it's time to thank Brandon McCarthy for, for – sta- I don't know why you did this, Brandon, but God bless you, man. I mean, <laughs> seriously, go be with your family. Be, we, we owe you – in my mind, well, we Brand, in my mind, uh, like days, right? like, this is just a thing. I think Amanda. I would like to believe that right now Amanda is putting your child down for a nap, so that just as you're ending this and you go to play with <laughs> your child, actually, is she? Yeah, yeah, about probably about ten, <laughs> ten minutes. I think. Yeah. I just want you. Yeah. I want this yeah, to have that's... denied you an entire chunk of your child. Like that's what I... <laughs> so she's, she's at that age where you can teach her something and she right away learns it and knows to do it. So like you could see him running around outside and she would run up to the sliding glass door and like you guys couldn't hear it. But Amanda taught her like to put her finger to your mouth and be like, shh, and like this. So Cassidy keeps running up to the sliding glass door and doing this to me. <laughs> this slide, like this is just unbearably cute, but I can't open this because I have to finish this. <laughs> I, I'm so imagining you doing the podcast and then going to your two-year-old daughter and her looking up at you and saying, "Father, yeah. I have studied." Uh, I, I have to. I have to do, finish my calculus homework. 
And suddenly you like you blink <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's, I'm leaving for college in three months. That's the two memories um, is dropping her off at college and this, denying her the <laughs> Oh, it's so great. All right, Brandon, this is fantastic. Michael, as always, thank you. Joe, thanks for having me. Thanks, guys.